welcome to the podcast, Let's Talk Sped Law, a podcast dedicated to discussing special education rights of children with disabilities. I'm your host and special education attorney, Jeff Forte. Now let's talk Sped Law. Hi everyone, this is attorney Jeff Forte from Let's Talk Sped Law. We're here with another episode um, to speak about the differences between psychoeducational, psychological, and neuropsychological evaluations. Here with us today is our guest speaker. I'm very honored to have him on the phone with us today is Dr. Nick Gelbar. Dr. Gelbar, can you please um, uh, share a little bit about yourself and um, your background, please? All right. Well, uh, first of all, Jeff, thank you for having me on. I'm I'm really excited to to talk about this. Um, I am a certified school psychologist in Connecticut. I'm also a licensed psychologist in Connecticut. I received my PhD in school psychology from the University of Connecticut. I went on and did a postdoctoral fellowship where I got training on autism and intellectual disabilities. Um, And for six years, I was a practicing psychologist as well as serving as the research director at the Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities at UConn. And uh, currently, I have my own private practice, educational testing and consulting in Connecticut. Uh, and do a little bit of work at the University of Connecticut as a researcher as well. That's great, Doctor. Well, first, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Um, It's really a real pleasure to have you, and thank you for all the work that you do for children with disabilities to help move their education forward. Um, So for the benefit of our listeners, um, I want to share with our listeners that I've often, as an attorney, wanted to know the clinical differences, because I'm not a clinician, Uh, I've often wanted to know what are the differences between a psychoeducational evaluation versus a psychological evaluation versus a neuropsychological evaluation. And, um, you know, there's not much out there on the internet that really puts it into a perspective as to what are the differences, both clinically and assessment-wise. But ironically, um, I just came across an article by Dr. Gelbar that was just published yesterday, um, April 6th, and it really hits to the exact merits of the things that I've been looking for. So I wanted to have Dr. Gelbar on today so he can really go through for the benefit of us and for parents to understand what are the differences. So, Dr. Gelbar, can you, can you kind of go through and explain to us what are the key differences between the three types of evaluations? Yeah, definitely. Um, and as psychologists, we don't make it easy for parents and, and for people because we all have different titles and we call our reports different things. Um, the, the easiest one to start with is a psychoeducational evaluation. Those evaluations are traditionally done by school psychologists working in schools. And they've been referred to as psychoeducational because it's supposed to kind of indicate that this wasn't a psychological evaluation done in an outpatient setting, that it was really focused primarily on answering questions about how to best educate this child and how this child is functioning in the school environment. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so it's really normally a school-based sort of evaluation. And that um, and no. that would make sense because the term psychoeducational implies that there's some type of educational component to it. So that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And that what often happens in to talk for a second about sort of what a school-based evaluation typically looks like, normally the school psychologist is doing some cognitive assessment and doing some behavior rating scales. Um, recently, they've more and more started to do things like testing executive function or learning and memory, but that's their piece of the puzzle. And then a special education teacher sometimes is the one who does the academic achievement. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the school psychologist that does the academic achievement testing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the lang- so oh, for go the go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, they, and then the speech language person does their assessment, and the occupational therapist does their assessment. So it, it's sort of the psychoeducational. If you put it all, all of those together, that would create a psychological hmm. ass- assessment. Um, but the psychoeducational for, that the school psychologist is doing is narrower and doesn't always have all those things, you know, all those other people's reports that are done separately. It, not all that information is brought together and integrated. It's sort of parents get all these separate reports. Right, right. So, Dr. Gelbart, you mentioned the term uh, cognitive assessment. So, to the lay parent, you know, who may have a a child that's emerging out of pre-K, let's say, and entering kindergarten, and they may be noticing some cognitive um, uh, it delays. What what are some examples of, um, you know, cognitive assessments that would be commonly included in a school-based psychoeducational evaluation that a parent should be looking for or even asking for as part of the evaluation process. Right. Um, so the, traditionally, um, the measures that are used and referred to as cognitive assessments are the, the Woodcock-Johnson tests of cognitive abilities, the Wexler scales, there's one that's for preschool-age children, and then there's one for uh, children until they're, they're like six and a half until they're 16 and a half, roughly. Um, and uh, there's also the Stanford-Binet. Um, those are like the three big ones. There's some other less popular measures that are used. And kind of the lay term, people often think of this as like IQ testing, but mm. it's not, you don't just get an IQ, you get a bunch of other scores as well to interpret. So it's not you know, you get sort of a picture of how this child thinks and how we think they should be doing in school. Like, what's their potential to do in school? Mm-hmm. So, what type of uh, background or um, degrees does a uh, psychologist that works for a school have versus a um, versus a clinical psychologist that has their own private practice, like like you do? Yeah, so the, the school psychologists that work in schools either have, um, in Connecticut we call it a six-year degree, but in, uh, na- nationwide it's sometimes referred to as a certificate of advanced graduate studies or an educational specialist degree. That's a complicated way of saying a, a school psychologist working in schools has done everything but write a dissertation. They've done all this advanced coursework and they've done all this training to work in schools. They've had to do 
an internship where they worked in schools mm. and they've tested children and they've done other things, um, you know, like counseling and other things with children. Uh, <clears throat> and so that allows them to be certified. There are some people who have written a dissertation and have, so they have a PhD or a PsyD. There's not really a big difference between those things. Um, and they also may work in schools and be certified. Um, but it, it's just sort of there's a base level of training that happens. It's usually at least 60 graduate credits. Um, sometimes it's often much many more credits than that. Um, and then they've completed what they need to do to be certified to work in schools. Generally, that's the only place they can work. There are, there are some exceptions in some states. There's some people, there are school psychologists who can operate privately without um, doing that, but predominantly school psychologists tend to work in schools. Okay. Okay. So, so moving on to um, the difference between then a psychoeducational versus a psychological evaluation, what, what are the main differences between the two? So the, the main difference is that the psychological is generally broader in terms of the assessments that are used. So it's it's always going to have a cognitive, some sort of behavior scales, and academic achievement at sort of the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, but it also may have tests of learning and memory, executive function, other things depending on the child. Um, it also is going to lead to medical diagnoses. So the main difference is a psychoeducational will say this is what the child's strengths and weaknesses are. A team needs to come together to discuss these strengths and weaknesses to determine special education eligibility and all those things. Um, a psychological, this data all comes together and it's going to lead to a medical diagnosis or series of diagnoses for a child. So based on this data, a psychologist putting all of that information together, um, all psychologists, clinical and neuropsychologists have PhDs or PsyDs, so they're, they're all doctors. And in addition to the training that happens before you're done with a doctorate, they also have to do some work after their doctorate where they're supervised before they're allowed to independently practice. Mm, okay. So w- one of the questions that attorneys, parent special educa- education attorneys often get asked from parents is, well, if I want to get a private evaluation done for my child for the betterment of their education, um, I'm going to contact my insurance company to see what's covered. And it's my understanding that oftentimes these types of educational-based private evaluations aren't the types of evaluations that are covered by insurance. Can you can you kind of you know break that down a bit for parents? It so it depends. It depends a lot on different. Um, having spent six years working with insurance companies um, and using the term "working" loosely. Um, it depends on the plan that you have, and it depends on what the specific referral questions are. So some plans will cover testing that to determine if the child has autism 
or we'll cover testing to determine what sort of mental health challenges that a child faces. Some insurance companies won't cover testing that um, leads to the potential diagnosis of a learning disability, for example. Um, sometimes I've seen that be rejected. So when I first was practicing in a, a private clinic, we gave academic achievement tests to all, all of the children who were in that clinic. And the insurance companies basically told us, we're no longer covering that because that's something that can be done in the schools. We pay you to do autism testing. Mm. Just stick with autism testing. Mm. Interesting. Right, right. So if so 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 my understanding is then if there's parts of the evaluation that a parent's asking for that might include, for example, reviewing school district evaluations or reviewing IEPs. That's the part that's most likely not going to be covered by an uh, insurance uh, claim. Right, right. And th- those things are sometimes, and um, those are things that often that psychologists, if parents want those things to be done, are going to are going to say there are going to be additional fees for those things often. Right, right. Uh, or they're just not going to offer those services. Um, you know, that they'll do sort of the, the basics that are covered by insurance, but they're not going to sort of necessarily wrap it together to put it into that package of this is then what would translate into schools. Right, right. So when would the best time, um, I guess, to to be requesting or seeking from a parent's perspective a psychoeducational evaluation versus a psychological evaluation from a private accredited provider such as yourself? I think there's a lot of uh, many factors that go into that. Um, I think it really, the main factor to me, though, is the complexity of the child. Mm. If, if the, you know, the more, and this is sometimes tough for parents to know how, how complicated is my child. But um, if the, it's often that you get the psychoeducational done by the school and there's a, there's a, a, a weird pattern of those results and or those results aren't aligning with the way the child's performing in school, but we sort of haven't answered all of the questions that then doing that. Um, I also think if there's some type of specific, you know, some sort of um, looking for autism, looking for the potential for some sort of processing difficulties, Mm -hmm. looking for... um, mental health challenges that may be arising across settings, um, as well as, um, you know, just generally that this is a complex child and we're seeing that the child isn't functioning well in school, but the data says they should be, and there's not really a good answer as to why. Right. Um, And psychological evaluations typically... um, will, will cover things beyond just the educational components, right? Right, right. So then you're also going to get um, recommendations that are for things that you can do within the home as a parent to how to better parent this child, as well as these are the types of services that this child needs. Mm. Um, I think it's also important, um, and this may be sort of foreshadowing a question you were about to ask, but um, it's important to remember, though, if that parent gets a private evaluation and they show up with that private evaluation at that PPT meeting, 
the PPT meeting has to, or IEP meeting to talk in more national terms, um, that IEP meeting only has to consider those results. They don't have to like, accept. They don't have to. They don't have to accept them. They right. just have to consider them. They have to be sort of noted. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. So that in the psychological evaluation is going to give you a much broader look at the child and a broader look at recommendations, but it may not have the teeth behind it to help in terms of making changes in schools. Also, that person may not have as much knowledge about the way that schools work and with, and how special education law works um, in terms of diagnosing a learning disability. You know, you can look at data and diagnose a learning disability, but there's a process schools have to go through to show that they've done everything they can to instruct this child well before they can say they have a learning disability. So you, there's sort of two standards going on right. that sometimes don't get... Um, that don't sort of talk to each other. We have these educational standards and we have these medical standards and the two don't align always. Right, right. You know, one question that often comes up between um, parents sometimes and evaluators is the importance of, regardless if it's a psychological, psychoeducational, or neuropsych, which we haven't gotten to yet, um, is the importance of having a student observation um, component to the evaluation. Um, can you talk about that a bit? Well, I think it's so important. If I'm going to make recommendations for a child, I want to see them in as many settings as I can see them. So actually seeing them in school allows me to be better able to see what's working. What what is this? What are they actually trying with this child? Because uh, pieces of paper like IEPs are wonderful. They don't actually tell you what the living, breathing program that the child is experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis looks like. Um, and so I think it's really important to do observations. That's not something that's covered by insurance usually, um, but I'm parts of, of groups of, of people who do this type of testing and everyone says if there's ever anything having to do with schools that they try to get in at least to see them. Um, sometimes it's not important to give a diagnosis, but it, it can be really valuable in terms of making sure that the, the recommendations you are providing are the most useful to the school and to the family and child at the end of the day. Right, right. So, Moving on to a neuropsychological evaluation, um, you know, oftentimes parents will call and they'll say, well, we only want to get a neuropsych. We, we don't want to get a psychological or a psychoeducational evaluation. Um, what, what are the main differences between the neuropsych versus the other two evaluations that we just addressed? So the, the main difference it, it, there's a couple. The, the main difference is a neuropsychologist is looking at this data from the lens of what does this potentially tell me about brain dysfunction or function? Um, so they're looking at data and they can often provide information about, well, we expect that there may have been some damage to this part of the brain. Um, 
they also tend to write reports that are more integrated um, and they tend historically they've tended to use a broader range of assessment tools than psychoed or psychological I would say that's sort of you know, in the past five years has shifted. I'd say most people are using pretty wide batteries or that people, it's not just the neuropsychologists. I would say psychologists and neuropsychologists are using the same in terms of not just cognitive behavior rating scales and academic achievement, that there are many more psychologists are also using learning and memory tests, tests of language, tests of visual motor integration, et cetera. They're kind of doing these bigger batteries. Um, the integrated nature of the neuropsych report is also a little different. Uh, a lot of psychoed reports are, I gave this test, here are the results. I gave this test, here are the results. I gave this test, here are the results. Right. There's then a summary and then recommendations. The neuropsych report often provides a narrative, so it's almost like a much longer summary of the child. So it's all of these things go to, about this child. And then there's recommendations. And then there's usually the tables with all the data that's sort of at the end. Um, again, if you if, when you see enough of these, you start to see that the, there's a lot of blending of this. And many school psychologists and even psychologists, you know, clinical psychologists are also writing more integrated reports. Um, there are pros and cons to both styles of reports. Sometimes parents kind of like just that quick summary that happens and that they can see the data in tables or graphs. Um, other people really like the, the, how it's sort of the narrative that's pulled together of their child and that, that four page description of what's going on. Um, so that, that's, that's very useful. Um, if, so to put, kind of put it into context, right? If, if a parent has, um, a child with a disability, and if we were to try to start to think about, you know, eligibility components on an IEP in which um, the, the school district may or may not have done a more comprehensive, fully informed evaluation, are there certain types of eligibility categories or disability categories where a psychological, a psychoeducational, or a neuropsych are more appropriate than others. Uh, so I'm going to start by saying what's for some eligibility questions. Like if you went to a neuropsychologist, you went to a clinical psychologist, you went to the school and had them do a psycho ed, it, they're going to look the same. So if the referral question has to do with a learning disability, a lot of the data is going to look the same that you're going to do Tests that are, if you, we think the child's having difficulty reading, you're going to do reading tests, whether you're a neuropsychologist, a psychologist, or a school psychologist. Uh, and that's one of the things that, as much as we talk about all these differences, they often, we're often all using the same tests and, and we're just looking at the kids sometimes from slightly different angles. Um, I think when children are more medically complex, whether that's because of sort of they have some genetic predispositions or um, intellectually or um, they've experienced um, a traumatic brain injury or if they've had a stroke or they have seizures. That's really kind of the bread and butter of neuropsych 
neuropsych testing. Um, they also do all kinds of other testing, and they'll test children with learning disabilities and other things. Um, but in, they're also really good for children who are just complex. Mm. These really complex kids, especially um, when we need to really integrate and look across different areas so that this may be a child who at first um, was eligible to receive special education services under speech language, but then later on has some reading issues and then also has some social and emotional issues. And they're sort of going to look at the whole child and put all of that together. Mm. Um, Really good school teams can do that, but they can't give you the medical diagnosis that's sometimes required to then get outside services for that child. Um, and so the thing that makes a neuropsychologist different is that they can hypothesize about the way the brain is developing or that this is, has to do with specific areas of the brain. And you can think about if a child has epilepsy or there's something going on with the brain, that makes a lot of sense. Um, their integrated perspective also can be really useful. Um, the, the big bang for your buck with a, a psychological is you're going to get those medical diagnoses, and sometimes those medical diagnoses are the only way that you can get certain services. Right, right. right. Um, so if you need the medical diagnosis of autism to receive certain services outside, you know, from that in terms is provide. Um, and a psychoeducational is going to give you really tailored school-based recommendations. Um, what I sometimes do is a neuropsychologist will have seen a child and a school team brings me in to be the translator, the person who sort of says, how do we actually make these recommendations work in a school environment? And that's where I sort of use my training as a school psychologist to be able to do that. Um, but again, sometimes these reports will look the same and it doesn't matter where you go, but it's, uh, I think so many people want the neuropsych because they want like the, the best thing. They sort of view it as the Cadillac and sometimes it is, and sometimes it, it's really useful. And then sometimes uh, the school looks at that and says, but we have no idea actually what we should do. And the attorney and, and or advocates are looking at them and go, uh, looking at that report going, but I can't do anything with this because it's not, it doesn't reflect the nature of special ed law in those things. So I would say there's not like a best fit. It's just sort of more complex cases. Probably a neuropsych is, is going to be worth it. Otherwise um, there are psychologists who focus on autism or intellectual disabilities, regardless of if they're a neuropsychologist or a regular psychologist, if that's the issue, you should go to someone with expertise in that. Right. Um, right. And it's some of that's just shopping and figuring out what is the expertise of the person who's going to evaluate and what do they sort of know and how can they be helpful? And is, is that what I need right now? Because um, your child who was in third grade got diagnosed with a learning disability, we're now in seventh grade and the grades start to tank and there's, they're starting to be moody and irritable at home. We may need to look at the bigger picture and are other things other than this learning disability going on. Right, right. So, so, so to recap, um, it, it sounds to me that a psychoeducational eval is typically one that would be initially, at least, done by a by a school-based psychologist. Um, and school-based psychologists don't have to necessarily um, achieve a dissertation. Versus a psychological eval is going to really look at more of a robust. Um, 
kind of view of the child beyond the educational setting and the neuropsych is is really more geared toward towards a child that may have a you know some very significant disabilities that may evolve over the lifetime or the age of the child where you, they kind of have to put everything together um, for the benefit of of the child's life um, education social and emotional yeah that's um, exactly right Right. Okay. Um, well, doctor, I, I really want to thank you for your time tonight um, for the benefit of the Let's Talk Sped Law audience. Um, now, if people want to reach you, wh- wh- where are you located and, and what's your contact information, Dr. Gelbar? Great. So the, uh, my website is educationaltestingandconsulting.com. Um they can, uh, I, I don't know if you have show notes, but I can give you my contact information in terms of show notes, like my email and everything where people can contact me. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Gelbar. And um, to our audience, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode once we, uh, once we go to another uh, uh, program and podcast. Thank you. <laughs>